We'd like to thank Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for helping to underwrite the Building Through Him podcast. In the last year alone, Notre Dame FCU served more than 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com. Hello, I'm Mary Jo with the Building Through Him podcast, and today we're doing Jesus Conversations, Unlocking the Blocks to Prayer. I'm here with my friend Claire Dwyer. She's an author and speaker. She'll be one of the presenters at our Kingdom Builder Conference, which will be held October 1st. Ticket sales are on right now, and those end September 23rd. So if you've not already ordered your tickets, she's one of our amazing presenters. We will also have Father Jason Smith and Heather King along with myself, and we are looking forward to women coming and just being cherished in the Father's love. So we're here with Claire today. Claire, you want to say hi to our audience? Hi. Thank you for having me, Mary Jo. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yes. We're going to go ahead and start with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I just praise you and thank you for the gift of your Son, the gift of your Church the gift of your Eucharist. Thank you for the opportunity to lead and build women. We just ask your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon this conversation, poured out upon all of the people who hear this. And we just ask the full presence of your mother to be with us as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So, so often, Claire, in dealing with our super busy lives, we have all these blocks to actually enter into prayer. So you being this accomplished author and speaker, you're a mother of six, right? You said six children? Yep. And then a new grandmother, Right. And so this journey of working and raising children and, you know, also there's a marriage in there somewhere. How has that journey looked like with you learning to pray? Wow. Well, you know, it is a journey. Prayer is a journey. It's an ever deepening relationship with God. And, you know, I was raised Catholic by God's grace we prayed as a family from my youngest memory, we would, you know, say the rosary and certainly attended mass. And I was very well formed in the life of faith and, and grace was present. But I also had this instinctive knowledge that, that I could talk to God. Mm. And I did that. I remember being a little girl, like sitting out on the front porch and just talking to him. And that was a real gift. And that has developed throughout our life, prayer shifts and changes and deepens. And as an adult, life does get busier and busier. And I had to learn to make it a priority and to set aside time, like make it sacred and and be very deliberate about time for conversation. Just like we need to set time aside for our friendships or our marriages, or our relationships That's how they grow. And not that I could control what happened in that time, but it was up to me to make prayer a priority. And the Lord has been so gracious as my life has changed over the years and my um, responsibilities have increased. He has seemed to uh, 
he knows I need so much more grace and I know how much I need. <laughs> goodness, he yes. Reminds me very often how much I need it. I was just telling someone the other day, that is a gift to be reminded how much we need the Lord. So and true. so in other words, prayer's been part of my life forever by God's grace. Mm-hmm. And as I became an adult, I realized how much I needed to prioritize it, make time for it, be deliberate and show up. And within the limitations of my time and my humanity, the Lord has honored that in ways that I really couldn't have anticipated. And that's why when I talk to women, I really say, you have to prioritize it. You have to set time aside and you have to show up. Even when you think and feel like nothing is happening. Right. Something is happening. Right. And and once in a while, you'll actually know that the Lord will allow you to experience Him in very beautiful ways. But you have to show up all the time to know Him in that way some of the time. Right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Show up all the time to know Him in those ways some of the time. That's really good. He's present always. Right. Whether we feel it. Or not. Uh-huh, because he would love to give us the gift of grace, mm-hmm. uh, faith. Faith, right. Me. That grace. And the only way we get that is by showing up and not necessarily getting evidence that he is there as well. Absolutely. So sometimes like when you're saying like, I don't feel him, you know, the enemy can like say, I don't, you know, you don't really feel him or you're probably praying wrong or, you know, all the, I mean, your, your prayer doesn't really do much, you know, like all those things. He works so hard at getting us not to pray. Oh, you can pray after you clean out the crumbs in the silverware drawer. You can get to that rosary after you go ahead and vacuum this one little, you know, crusty piece of carpet. Like always like, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And it's like recognizing that that's the enemy's blocking us from the Lord's love. Like I always like to ask why. Why do you think the enemy blocks so hard for us to enter into that relationship for prayer with Jesus? Oh, because he knows it is the entry point to this life of intimacy with God that we were created for. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't just happen by us living on the surface of life and once in a while tossing up a Hail Mary. (laughs) You know, it's easy to fall into that pattern and the Lord's with us no matter what and and He's present to us. But we have to come to Him and turn to Him and invite Him into our life and our heart. And, you know, you really... You said it so well when you said, we feel like we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. We feel like if we don't sense something happening, if we don't hear God's voice, even like internally. Right. So often women will say to me, well, I was praying like nothing happened. I'm like, oh, something <laughs> happened. Right. Exactly. Something happened. The Lord is so good beyond all our imaginings. So you give him a little time, something will happen, but that change might not be noticeable necessarily in the moment. But when... Yes. When you find yourself loving others better, when you find yourself loving the Lord and being drawn to him, that's where the evidence is and the proofs in the pudding, you know, but but the enemy gets in there. What I'm trying to say is the enemy gets in there and twists it and says, "Well, you're doing it wrong." Mm-hmm. Clearly not, you know, clearly nothing's happening. You'd be better off, you know, like you said, going and cleaning or doing right, something right. productive. Exactly. Uh, this doesn't feel very productive mm-hmm. right now. Do more. Do more. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Check another box off that to-do list. Exactly. It's obsessive, right? It's like, <laughs> totally. Oh, yes. I always like to think of it as like charging a cell phone. Like when you put it in there, it's not like the cell phone automatically works better right then, especially if you know you're 40% power. But you know that throughout the day, without plugging into the Lord and like 
like having his love, you just slowly just start to burn out, you know, so that like, again, I don't like to compare too much to technology, but for people to know, like if they don't plug their phone in, you can't expect it to work as, as well as it's supposed to, right? So we can use a phone as like a doorstop. It works as a doorstop, but it's created to do so much more than that. You know, so when we're plugging into God mm-hmm. and allowing ourselves to feel his love and allowing that to enter into us and anoint our creativity and our imaginations and our energy and our mothering and, you know, all those things, we perform at this level that is just like unreal, because we're plugging into to the divine light. Amen. And suddenly it's not our power anymore. The Mm-mm. power source is God. We're loving with his love and we're serving with his, you know, charity. And we are tapping into divine power then. Absolutely. And it, and it ceases to be all on us. So, so while we're yeah. talking about like technology, that's, you know, technology has impacted all our lives. So like five years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was. You know, it's like. It, it happens so fast. All of a sudden, you know, there's podcasts and there's also like helpful apps like LaDante. And I love the YouTube rosary with images because I'm very much like I'm connected with images. I pray really well with those. There's scripture apps, but the screens I find are like a slippery slope. So I would much prefer to open my Bible than find a scripture on the screen because I get sucked into other things, you know, and I like know I'm weak. So has technology impacted your prayer life positively or negatively? And how have you navigated that? That's an interesting question. I Technology in many ways has positively shaped my spiritual life because it has opened doors to me that weren't open before in the sense of, um, well, now I, I work for the Avila Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that is really dedicated to teaching people about the interior life and helping them grow in the life of prayer. So one of their apostolates is spiritualdirection.com. And years ago, I found this website, found out it was affiliated with an institute which teaches primarily Carmelite spirituality and how to pray. And um, I, I ended up getting a graduate certification in spiritual theology through this institute. And now I work for Avila Foundation primarily on on their website. So that was a way that the Lord invited me to come to a deeper understanding of the life of prayer and the spiritual life and the journey that the journey of the interior life. Right. So that was and, like and an so invitation to go deeper. Yeah. It was yeah. And you know, all these classes are online, right? right? And all these articles are online and I didn't have access to that right. before. Right. You know, I, I did get an undergraduate degree at Franciscan University, and that was a tremendous grace and blessing. But then once I got married and moved away, like those things weren't available to me. Right. But technology makes present to us all of these powerhouses of the church. Right, right. All of these apostolates that are bursting in Bible in a year and the, the St. Paul Center and healing ministries, podcasts like this one, right? Bringing us together. Like, how did you find me? How am I flying out for kingdom builders? Right, right, right. It's all through online. It's yes. opening doors, but it can also open portals. Sure. And th- th- what you're saying too, is that this can be an entry point for all kinds of negative influences. Right. You know, limitations are good. It's so hard for us to keep ourselves from, you know, picking up the phone, it becomes such a habit. If you notice how often we reach for that in the pause, we just like don't know know what to do with the silence. One thing that I find is helpful is before I pray in the morning, I try to limit or avoid technology. Beautiful. 
I'm not always successful at it, but even just to be mindful, like I don't have to check my email right now. And one of the things about that, apart from getting sucked in and going down rabbit trails online, is that suddenly you're waking up parts of your brain that don't necessarily need to be awake in order to pray. Exactly. And are probably better off like staying quiet and Mm -hmm. still so that the deeper part of you the part of you that aches, that has desires, that longs for God, that thirsts Mm -hmm. that we tend to numb with all of this stuff can remain awake and present to God in Mm -hmm. our prayer time. And we can let our to-do lists and our mind and our email and all of that and all of that noise that we have to face at some point, like stay still for a while. Right. I think the- So that's one way. I love that. Uh, So often when I'm looking at the to-do list, you know, being a mother of 10 and, you know, running a nonprofit, the, it's endless. It's endless. And when I'm trying to like figure out how everything's going to get done, there's not an answer. And I, and I compare it to like swimming in quicksand. (laughs) It's like, what, what am I even trying to do that for? And no matter whether you, you know, you have zero kids or 10 kids, like all of us feel that way sometimes. Like there's just too much to get done. I never go to bed and think, I've got everything done. There's nothing to do tomorrow. You know, it's like the list just grows. I mean, that's part of like living healthily in God's kingdom. But also like when we're swimming in that, just to recognize I need just to rest in the Father. I'm not going to solve all these problems. I'm not going to do all these things on my list. I'm just going to go ahead and rest in the Father. And then it's like, you know, that seek first the kingdom and all these things will be granted to you besides. It's like when we seek him first, then he orders all those priorities. And things that were on our to-do list all of a sudden just disappear or like someone else steps up and handles it so that that when you're talking about first waking up in the morning and giving him that, you know, seek first that kingdom, that is that resonates really strongly with me. Well, I was going to say too, I think that when you cultivate a life of prayer and you practice listening to God, which is something that we can get better at. And right. that, again, it requires that consistency in the showing up and and disciplining ourselves to be quiet and still and recognize his movements. Right. And sometimes it's not a voice so much as it is just a drawing or a, a movement towards something. We can also discern what is supposed to be on the to-do list. Yes. God yes. won't give us the grace for stuff we're not supposed to do. Mm, amen. That stuff will either crowd out what we're supposed to do or won't get done or won't be done well. Amen. But that can that's one way that prayer can help us with the to-do list is by giving us the the ability to discern mm-hmm. to be what living, it is and, living in the will of the Father. So like this other stuff is like that's not important. As I heard a speaker say, are you doing something for God? Or are you doing something of God? You know, because to live in the will of God is to do stuff of God, not for Him. You know, it's like, you know, oh, I feel like I maybe should, you know, volunteer in this capacity or do this. Like, there's many goods that surround us. And so another quote someone has said that the Satan will use the goods to keep you from the great, like to honor your design and the Father's will within that, like how to move forward. Yeah, I heard one writer say that, the Satan was very happy to give us sapphires if he could keep us from the diamond. He Amen. will give us good things. Woo. In fact, you know, St. Teresa of Avila and St. Ignatius of Loyola both talk about the reality that when you get to a certain point in the spiritual life, and I would assume most listeners here are like actively engaging in the life of the church. They want the good. Right. 
the devil's not going to tempt them to like cheat on their taxes or rob a bank. Right, right. And he knows that. So what does he do? He'll tempt us to good things to keep us from the better things, the things that God really wants us to do. Right. And so we have to be aware of that, that these things that we can chase after are good things. Right. And they might even be holy things, but they cease to be that if we're using them and as, you know, we're we're using them to feel good or because we think we should, when the reality is God's calling us to a greater good that might not look as shiny. Right. You know, but it's true. Yes. But but anyway, all that to say, like when we pray and we learn to to lean into the discipline of prayer, we become better mm-hmm. at identifying that is a good opportunity. But you know what? I really know I've already God has already shown me where He wants me, right? And I need to commit to that and recommit to Him, and then the to do list ends up getting done. Yes, absolutely. So that's one thing to consider. Like if you're I if you're that. consistently struggling. Am I doing things I was never actually asked to do? Right. I always, if there's too much, if I'm sensing like chaos, I'm always like, okay, where's the diversion tactic? Like what part of this is diversion tactic? Because the father does not want chaos. So like we live in a mess. I like to call it a beautiful mess, but that chaos, it's like, no, there's a diversion tactic here. What's the enemy trying to keep, you know, me from or keep one of my kids from or keep, you know, the the ministry from like just to kind of recognize this is a diversion tactic, even when it comes to prayer. Like, oh, just do this, Mary Jo, and then you can pray. It's like, mm, that's a diversion tactic. Just to be able to recognize what it is and that every time we have that desire to pray, like the Lord's like um, tapping our shoulder, hey, you want to get a decade in right now? And you're like, um, a little bit later, Jesus. And actually, that's a grace, like him tapping on our shoulders and saying, do you want to pray now? That's a, that's a grace, and we're actually like rejecting it. So to be like what you're saying, connected to the Father so that we're hearing the shepherd's voice, that we're in tune to the shepherd's voice. So when he's tapping on our shoulders, we're like, absolutely, I'll stop right now and and give you those three minutes for a decade. So talking about prayer, you have a large age gap in your kids. So how has prayer looked in your family? Because that's a struggle for me too, like to find a prayer where everyone wants to do. Have you found a solution to that? No. <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah, there's a span. Our oldest is 24. Like you said, he just became a dad. He and his wife just had a little baby last week. Congrats. And then my youngest is 10. So we're still straddling, you know, the elementary years and grandparenthood, which is crazy. Yes. You know, prayer shifts as your family shifts and grows. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that parents can be really hard on themselves thinking it's supposed to look a certain way and that you're failing if it doesn't. Right. And I have just learned to relax into the process of growing up and to just believe that the Lord has an individual relationship with each of my children and they will hopefully discover that in an ever deepening way. And Mm -hmm. I bring that intention to the Lord Mm -hmm. and relieve myself of the responsibility of trying to make that happen. Right. I think any one of us as parents with children of any age have learned that free will is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And we are responsible to create an environment that fosters the life of grace and prayer to live a sacramental life, 
to live the liturgical year, to surround our kids with healthy influences, but then ultimately it's up to them and the Lord will never Mm -hmm. cease pursuing them. Right. But I will say that as of about 10 years ago, a little more than that now, I became really intentional about interceding for my kids. What does that look like? That looks like naming what I want for them. That looks like praying a perimeter prayer of spiritual protection around them, of going into their rooms and like claiming that space in the name of Jesus. It's usually like holy water. Oh, yep. And the interceding for them very intentionally. Beautiful. Spiritual warfare came pretty strong and hard. I would say there was a certain element of retaliation even when I started doing that. But thank goodness I'm aware of it and I can rebuke it. And so we need to use the spiritual authority that we have. I was talking to an exorcist not long ago and I was asking him, like, I know that we have a very particular spiritual authority over our children Mm -hmm. that comes from the grace of the sacrament of marriage and our parenthood. And they said, what happens when our children get older and they become adults? Yes. Does that stay? And he said, no, (gasps) not in the same way. Okay. When your children, like I would imagine, and he said there's no official church teaching on this, but his experience as an exorcist and talking to others in the deliverance and exorcism ministry indicates that there's a lessening of the power of the parental relationship when a child is an adult and moves out and has their own life, particularly when they're married. And that that does make sense. sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, the now they have their own realm of authority. Right. They exercise their baptismal kingship in a very, in a different way. Right. And so it would make sense. But like for us as parents, that's very, that's a, there's an element of gravity to that. Right. That means that we have, what, 18 years? Right. And I don't think it's like, you know, now you turn 18. You're done. So there's right. like, you're done. But I do think there's probably a gradual, like as the child leaves the home and becomes, you know, has their own state in life that they're discerning and that. Anyway, it just reminds us as parents, like we have this window that God has given us to be a very strong influence, even spiritually. Right. Even when our children look like they're not accepting that authority or they may be rebelling against it, yet it stands. Amen. In the spiritual realm. Right. Let us believe in that, claim it, absolutely, and not um, allow it to be diminished by our own lack of faith. Amen. So sometimes if my kids are being argumentative, which is like their um, special talent, so I'll be like, in the name of Jesus, with the authority as this child's mom, I renounce the spirit of argumentativeness. And I just speak it, you know, because demons can't read our thoughts, but they hear us. And my kids will be like, I hear you praying over there. Like, I just whisper it, you know, (laughs) so they don't know what I'm saying. I hear you praying over there. But guess what? Every time it just stops. It's like claiming that authority. It's like, you have no power here. This is the, this house belongs to the Lord and just mm-hmm. claiming that. And it's like that whole idea that as parents, we're not supposed to like do things that only make our kids happy. We've been entrusted with those kids and we are making God happy, you know? So I just firmly believe that if your kids aren't mad at you, at least some of the time, then you're probably not doing a great job. <laughs> it's like they, they push back, they fight but you're forming and you're molding. And if we just let them have everything, 
they become weak and selfish, and that's not what the Lord wants, right? The Lord wants us to train them up and to form them properly so that they can go out and build the kingdom. So talking about like all this prayer and then talking about, you know, going into the bedrooms, the different locations and claiming those for the Lord, have you thought about like, do you have a certain place at home or a certain location that you go to to enter into prayer? I do have a spot in the front room, which I, after I had already kind of claimed it, I realized it faces east. And so when I'm praying in the morning that I'm facing the east, as which is like the traditional posture of prayer in the church, yeah. Jesus will rise. We believe and come from the east. And so we pray facing that direction. So the sun rises and I'm there and I have my beautiful statue of Our Lady across the room. And it is a, a place that it. I often recommend that we have a place that's only for prayer. This place is not that for me. Right. I also do, I kind of do some work there and things like that, but it feels like a sacred place. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going for. Like, so that our minds and our bodies end up recognizing what happens in this place. And then they become like our friends when mm-hmm. it comes to entering into a state of prayer. It's like they relax into like, oh, this is what we're doing now. Absolutely. Because the location matters. It does. Yes, I mean, it totally matters. The, There's no screens in that room. Mm-hmm. There's, it's just a place where the Lord can be free to. I remember reading something where it said that you should have like a small place that's a place for prayer and We had all the kids still at home at this point in time. And I just was like going from room to room to room, trying to find like what little corner I could. And there was nothing. There was was no space. There was no room in the end for me to have a special prayer place. So I I kept all my like prayer things in a basket. So wherever was no one at the time so I could go to pray, then I would just get everything out of that basket. I had like a little candle and a lighter and some like note cards if I, you know, felt inspired to write someone in my scripture. And so if if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't even have a, a space you could do that. So I did that for a while until I had my space. But going back to like location, what has been your experience or how do you view Eucharistic adoration, like being physically present in his presence? Mm. Sania Stein said it so beautifully. She said, in order to have divine love as its inner form, a woman's life has to be a Eucharistic life. Mm. And we have to be grounded on the Eucharist. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get a holy hour in every day, but like, but our life should be centered on the reality that Jesus Christ is present in the Blessed Sacrament. And I love stopping into the adoration chapels. The kids are my kids have the gift of having the Blessed Sacrament exposed all day on Tuesdays at school. Wow! And the other day I was just dropping something off at the office. And I happened to look into the chapel and there's my 15-year-old praying with his class. Before the Blessed Sacrament, I slipped in and knelt down next to him oh. for three minutes. Mm. But like, oh my gosh. the And I think that there is, you know, the bishops have declared a Eucharistic revival, but I think the revival had already begun. I Mm -hmm. think they're just calling it something. But I think the Lord is, the Lord really does the work of the revival. And that's already underway in parishes all around the country and dioceses everywhere that there's a hunger for the Eucharist. The priests are recognizing it. My experience is that there is a more holy hours available 
benediction, yes. adoration, praise and worship in front of the blessed sacrament, healing services where priests are bringing the Eucharist and the monstrance before people. Like this is happening. Yes. And so we just need to cooperate with it. Mm-hmm. Look for the opportunities that we have to adore Jesus in the blessed sacrament and the Trinity in the blessed sacrament. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book called This Present Paradise on St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, who was kind of a prophet as far as devotion to the Trinity. 10 years after she died, the angel of Fatima would instruct the children when the angel appeared, like to adore the Trinity in the blessed Mm, sacrament. And to remind ourselves like, yes, body, blood, soul, and divinity, this is Jesus Christ physically present. But wherever Jesus is, there is the Father and there is the Spirit. Amen. And to just adore the, the presence of the Holy Trinity in our midst. Amen. So you're talking about St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. So are you going to touch on that for the conference? Can you give us a little teaser before we close off our podcast? How can I not talk about St. Elizabeth of the Trinity? <laughs> yes. Are we so, going to be Carmelite? Yeah. That, that oh, was yeah. kind of, a, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. St. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth of the Trinity was a turn-of-the-century French Carmelite who was a contemporary of St. Therese of Lisieux, but is comparatively little known. Right. St. Therese predicted before she died that she would spend heaven on earth and she was true to her word. I mean, come on. She was she was appearing to soldiers on the battlefields in World War One and giving roses everywhere and canonized, you know, in short order, parishes named after her. Anyway, the whole works. Rightly so. Right. We love Saint Therese. Oh, Everybody yeah. loves her. Absolutely. And St. Elizabeth said, no, I'm not going to do that. They actually asked her before she died, are you going to be like Therese? Because they knew of St. Therese in the French Carmels at the time that Elizabeth died in 1906. And she said, no, actually, I'm going to go bury myself in the bosom of the Trinity. Oh, I love but that. She did. She did say that if the Lord allowed her to, she would come back and teach souls to go out of, to move toward God in a movement of love. And Elizabeth's sign that she is present is that your heart is drawn ever deeper toward the Lord, Mm. but she doesn't make herself known until later. She's the kind of friend that you realize was there all along, but she wasn't drawing any attention to herself. I'm going to tell a story of how that became very clear to me at the conference. So, oh, um, we were so excited. You're going to hear. You just talking of like goosebumps on my arms. Oh my gosh. Um, Anyway, so Elizabeth was a prophet of prayer. Mm. Her mission in the world was to teach particularly laity that they were baptized for a life of intimacy with God, which was not um, necessarily something that you would have heard preached from the pulpit in France at the turn of the century. It was much more fire and brimstone and you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, which is what made Therese's message so beautiful and so needed and so welcomed by the world, the merciful love of God. Right. Well, St. Elizabeth had a very similar message, but hers was particularly to laity because she had extensive correspondence with laity from the convent. And we have that correspondence. We also have retreats that she wrote, one of which was for her sister, who is a mom at home, I with love two it. Little girls, I, I know. love it. So, but anyway, so you're like carrying on her mission, her Claire, for a long time. You're like so, carrying on her mission. Uh, we it. all are called to. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be fun to talk more about that at the conference. But that's Beautiful. a little glimpse of Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity and her mission. That's awesome. So I just want to thank you for being here today and just 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for pouring out upon us and the beauty of the conversation of women coming together and talking about beautiful things. And if you're on the fence about whether to take the time to invest in yourself, to be cherished in the Father's love, I just encourage you, just do it. You can go to our website, buildingthroughhim.com, and click on events, and you'll see the conference there. We look forward to an amazing day. You will not believe all the roses that you will see at this conference, t-shirts and so many fun shopping. We have, I think we have 25 different vendors, so lots of different Catholic places for you to shop, Eucharistic Adoration, Mass, amazing food, decor, just a day for you to be loved on. Claire, thank you so much for being here with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, Mary Jo, I can't wait till it's like real and in person. Yes, yes. Seeing you, that'll be fun. All right, you take care. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.